I'm Matthew McCleary. And I'm Mitchell McCleary. And this is Movies While They Sleep. The podcast where two brothers watch movies and talk about them after their families have gone to bed. Welcome to today's episode where we watched Steven Soderbergh's new release, No Sudden Move, starring Don Cheadle, Benicio Del Toro, John Hamm, David Harbour, and a whole cast of others. And Steven Soderbergh's brand new heist movie streaming right now on HBO Max. It's true. <laughs> uh, so make a sudden move. Get on over there and watch this thing. And listen to our conversation already in progress. Let's jump in, sleepyhead. Let's start there, because this is what I, this is why I like talking to you about movies. Is you can hit me with Soderbergh, and I don't have as much extensive knowledge of just working directors today. Yeah, yeah. And so when you said Soderbergh's got a new movie coming out, I was yeah. like, right, Ocean's guy. Yeah. Uh, but I think people would, similarly to me, appreciate the context of this guy, his work, what he's interested in, why it's important that he releases a movie. Just context for the Soderbergh yeah. of it all. Yeah, you know? he's, he is so interesting to me because I think he does two two different things at the same time. The first is that he makes really good movies. He's he's an acclaimed director. What right? what are just some some hits off yeah, the Yeah, I mean, like his his big thing was he released in 1989 Sex Lies and Videotape, which was this huge deal indie movie, won the top prize at the Cannes Film Festival and like just came out. I mean, he was 26, youngest person to win the Palme d'Or. Like came wow. out the gate highly acclaimed kind of weird 90s for him but then at the end of the 90s early 2000s he does out of sight which is this great heist ish movie with Clooney and Jennifer Lopez and Don Cheadle's in that um he's a Don Cheadle guy yeah uh, it's his sixth this no sudden move is his sixth with Don Cheadle um he does Aaron Brockovich and traffic in the same year and that year he's nominated for best director for the Academy Awards twice for those two different movies so which has that ever happened i, I don't that doesn't a sound long like it time could ago. have happened a, a super oh, long time ago like golden yeah. era hollywood and people yeah. are just pumping things out it, yes um this is i mean it's a crazy deal that he has these huge highly acclaimed movies that come out in the same year and gets nominated for both of them he, he wins for traffic traffic is this highly regarded movie he does the oceans franchise oceans 11 12 13 he does some tv stuff did he do eight no he didn't do it he was a producer on eight okay. um he he did so it was like an ocean the oceans movies are just like straight up popcorn pop movies all they're the movie huge. stars in the world but they're a huge deal they're i mean everybody shows up to for the sequels um, because the cast love working with him and they're just super fun movies mm. um, and he, he does like some HBO stuff he does like a weird HBO TV series online app experience thing um, like he's definitely experimental uh, but he also makes right. he also make, makes Magic Mike <laughs> the, right. uh, <laughs> the the male stripper movie um, right and the movie I'd seen most recently from him, beside No Sun Move, was Let Them Talk. Let Them All Talk. Let yeah. Them All Talk. Well, so and and then he so he does this kind of like I'm retiring from movies, and that lasts about six months, and then he starts making movies again, and <laughs> right. that's when you get he, he's the logic of directors, mm-hmm. the, the rapper logic. Uh, sure, <laughs> you're like yeah, Roy, whatever. Sure. I'm sure that I'm sure it's an apt comparison. <laughs> he does Magic Mike, and then he does Contagion, which is obviously a huge movie this year. Right, um, resurgence on. Well, I can't. I don't remember year. exactly the timing of his retirement. Maybe he did Contagion before he retired, but it doesn't matter. Um, Contagion and his like goal with Contagion was to do the most scientifically accurate portrayal of a worldwide pandemic as possible, and it's startling to watch. Um, Does that movie deal with uh, the political divide on how to uh, handle it? I, I listened to uh, Soderbergh on Mark Maron's podcast this week, and Maron asked him about this because Jude Law plays this like blogger who has like homemade remedies and thinks that the government oh. is, is conspiring against the world, kind of a thing. Zinc, and but it's like this tiny 
plot line and he's like and Soderbergh said the most inaccurate part of our movie was that Jude Law's character was only in 15 minutes of the movie and not half of the movie wow <laughs> uh, all of the science is basically held up um, right right he does but then he, I mean he's just doing all kinds of things he does some HBO movies he does Logan Lucky which is like a fun heist movie with Channing Tatum and Daniel Craig and then he makes Unsane this movie with Claire Foy in an insane asylum, and he does the whole thing, shoots the whole thing on an iPhone 7. Oh. Wasn't that the your recommendation for people that liked uh, I, oh, I Care, I Care a, lot. a Lot? Yes, it was. Yeah, yeah Interesting. absolutely. Yeah. Um, and If you wanted a better version of I Care A Lot, basically. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Um, and then, I mean, and, and he's just, he's made 33 movies or something. I mean, he's just... Extremely, extremely prolific. What I'm getting at is the two things. He's he makes movies like all. I mean, every a couple year basically. Um, I mean, and this year, 2020, he does Let Them All Talk, and then he has two movies coming out this year. No sudden move being one of them that he filmed during the pandemic. (laughs) Right. I heard that he was actually a forerunner for like COVID protocol. And that's what's insane is not only is he directing two movies during the pandemic because he was um, was in some like high level role in the directors guild guiding them on how to best do COVID protocol and return to movie making. <laughs> like he he's just this is just what he does. He breathes it. Um, and and his movies are, I mean, for the most part pretty good good. um like like either great or pretty good yeah and so and the other thing for me we're going to get into this in our no sudden moves conversation but um he is really interested in saying something he's really interested in social commentary and he's really interested in that but he's also really interested in experimenting and filmmaking so he does the iphone 7 thing he does let them all talk where they film the whole thing on the queen mary 2 over like 10 days or something and right. like they had to adjust scenes and things because they were on a boat and the boat was having you know a big party or something like you know and he's just going to get his cast and figure out how to do this and um you know i think we see that even in no sudden move his use of the you know super wide angle panoramic lenses right which is the very first thing i noticed when watching yeah. this movie and and, and he, then i mentioned it to sarah she's like dang it i can't unsee it <laughs> But he does that, and it's what's so interesting to me about his choice is that he kind of constrains himself to that, where yeah, I was di- expecting that a different lens to come into play or and that it never to happens. go away yeah. after you know or you know come thread itself in and out of the movie, and he yeah. just sticks with it even when it makes it. like no sense. Maybe yeah, no, I agree. <laughs> I think it doesn't work in every shot, but I think he's constraining himself. It's definitely a constraint he's put on himself. Yeah. And to see if it works. And I think I think it's interesting. We could talk about that choice, but this is a guy who likes experimenting. He likes social commentary. He loves filmmaking. I mean, Steven Soderbergh, his website has like a his I mean, he was the proto letterboxed where he was just like diarying everything he watched, which mm. like every day would be a movie or two, and then like episodes of Bravo reality TV. Wow. <laughs> like I need to follow that. <laughs> but what what I say that because I'm I'm so interested in this person that like on the Marin interview, Soderbergh is like, no sudden move is a movie. It's not a film. You right. Know, you know the difference. This right. is a movie, and I'm okay with that. And, yeah. and I just I like a director that has that self awareness and is, doesn't need to be so present uh, pr- so excuse me, pretentious about his work. Right. That he can make traffic and then also magic Mike. <laughs> right. Yes. And I think that um, start trying to have a level of that expectation when approaching any movie is healthy. Mm-hmm. Like, like I know for me, because I think sometimes I, I lean way more into the film side of things, mm-hmm. you know, and so even yes. with No Sudden Move, I was expecting more of a film. Yes, and you know, not to say that it's still not, it's not great, but like it ends, I'm like, okay, like that was fun, and then I'm telling myself, well, fun's not enough, <laughs> not for this viewer, but like that's totally great sometimes and and what most people would probably only want from a movie mm-hmm. 
yeah, he he just has this fascination with the whole medium, uh, for the whole the whole game. And I mean, on his website, he kind of infamously a few years ago posted a a video that he had edited. It was uh, it was the entirety of Raiders of the Lost Ark, first Indiana Jones movie, um, black and white, and he cut all of the audio from the movie and then put the social network soundtrack over it (laughs) and his point was you can watch this with no dialogue no music another movie soundtrack and you'll never be lost you'll know exactly what's happening because that's how good that's how good spielberg is at editing and telling this visual story (laughs) it's like uh, who has time to even like finish (laughs) a screenplay you know who has time to do that just anybody and then this guy's thought about this thing enough to where he's i'm just gonna go prove my uh yeah hypothesis here yeah or you know so studied in it yeah it's it's absolutely there's no way this guy has kids i'll I'll say that (laughs) Uh, yeah i don't know if he does um uh yeah no he has two children uh (laughs) oh gosh He's just on another level. I mean, he's also, you know, he's in his late fifties. Like, you know, he's he's in that that kind of. He has kids, but you know, not like he's not really <laughs> like a dad to them. No, I mean, it, it's true. You <laughs> know, kidding. he's in that you know, that kind of space of his career where he has the time and energy to be, you know, basically as high capacity as ever. Right. And and we're seeing that in this this year between Let Them All Talk, that is a late twenty twenty release, and then yeah. these two movies this year. Yeah, he's not an overthinker. No, no, I think that's what I appreciate about him too. Yeah, um, he just runs and guns. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Not and it's not not at the expense of the work. Totally, but like it's not like a um, to compare him to an actor. It's not like a Daniel Day where it's like one movie every ten years. <laughs> yeah, I mean, because he, he because he gives so much to the process. You know? But he, or even any of these kind of auteur directors like Tarantino right. or PTA where, okay, it's it's such an event when they come out with a movie because it's so rare. Right, right. And we just get to say every other year, every year, oh, here's the new Soderbergh. Uh, right. And he just shotgun blasts yeah. work out to the world. Yeah. Um, so Sounds like I need to catch up on his early catalog. Yeah, I mean, I would recommend for listeners um, – Go watch Out of Sight, the George Clooney J Lo movie, because it's just so much fun, mm-hmm. and it's really really good, um, and it's kind of constantly unexpected in what it does. Um, I love love that movie, and then I don't know why you wouldn't have seen Ocean's Eleven, but it's like it's a masterpiece of popcorn, right. um, you know, Hollywood and its stars movie making. What um, did you see the two that were nominated for best? Or he was traffic, nominated? yeah, traffic and Aaron Brockovich, yeah. So I watched Aaron Brockovich for the first time this year, actually, and I was immediately struck by it. the same thing that I'm constantly struck by in Soderbergh movies: how uh, how well paced and how propulsive it is. Yeah, and you, even no sudden move. Yes, which is fairly confusing mm-hmm. in its. Um, and it's a rollout of information, mm-hmm. um, but it's still like we're moving, we're moving, yeah. we're moving. Yeah. Um, do you know what Aaron Brockovich is about? I don't. So I'm assuming just, a man named Aaron Brockovich, a woman named Aaron Brockovich. God, I'm already wrong. <laughs> uh, Julia Roberts plays her. She Julia Roberts won an Oscar for that, um, and it's based on a real woman, Aaron Brockovich, who. Um, started working for a lawyer in California, and they kind of uncovered this scheme that PG&E was running where they were polluting groundwater in in this county. Oh, wow. And it was poisoning people and giving them cancer and, and all kinds of diseases, and they basically knew about it, and they covered it up. And so it's, it's kind of a process movie. It's like a legal process movie. Of I love those. It's really good, but it's not what you think of when you think of, like, you know, uh, Ocean's right. Eleven or a heist movie right. or something, but it's still so propulsive and so watchable. Vintage Julia Roberts. Yeah, she's amazing in it. Um, Which v- Mystic Pizza also vintage. Mm-hmm. I'm like, oh, I feel like I've seen so few movies of hers. Actually, but she's just so present. She's but she's fantastic. Yeah, she's there's a reason. <laughs> like, oh, she's a star for a reason. Got it. Got it. Got it. Yeah. <laughs> um, 
so so Aaron Brockovich, his best director, and then Traffic, I saw years and years ago, and it's it's really good. Um, it's it's really interesting because I think it's got a it feels a little more of its time. It feels a little more like year two thousand kind of thing. Mm. Um, and he does some interesting things like I, it's 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 drug trafficking. So all the scenes in Mexico have like the Breaking Bad yellow filter on them. I was gonna say I'm looking at the movie poster and it is ugly. It, it's a terrible poster. Um, but he may have been the first one to come up with the idea that when we want to let people know we're in Mexico, let's make the filter orange and yellow. Um, which has become a meme now. Which has definitely become a meme, and it certainly wasn't um, at that time. Um, uh, but, you know, Traffic is, is another stacked cast. It's got Catherine the same Jones, cast Don as Cheadle. No Sudden Move. Yeah, Benicio Del Toro, basically. Um, and... And it's, I mean, it's a really good movie, and it's very, very big on the social commentary because one of the, you know, key characters is like a senator or something, and you see how his rich daughter basically gets wrapped up in the drug tra- trafficking, right? And how from end to end, this is an issue in American culture. Um, and it seems like he's interested in ideas, even in his more straight up entertainment movies. Yes, there's yeah. still some juice there. Yeah, because, I mean, I think, and I think that's what I see in No Sudden Move. Yeah. To kind of... He, he Trojan horses, um, <laughs> like some philosophy. Um, I, I wanted, to, we could start, let me, let's start with the very last shot of the movie. Uh, Spoilers. <laughs> I, which I loved. I, I As it was happening, as the ending was unfolding, and, mm. um, and we'll, we'll kind of talk a little bit more about the plot, but... Um, as it was happening and I realized that Don Cheadle was going to get away alive and he was going to get $5,000 and that was it for all of his trouble. And I was like, Which is what he was promised. (laughs) Yeah. I I thought to myself, oh, the last shot is going to be him walking down the street with his wad of cash. Just like the first shot of the movie was him walking up the street, like out of jail. I'm ready to, I'm ready to get some money. Um, Right. And that's what it was. But then you get this title card with this like very specific information about the major motor companies in America in the sixties, right? in the fifties and sixties. And it's like, Oh, we were watching a movie about some historical social commentary events. Right. Cause there's nothing up front that suggests this is real. No, and there's no, there's no. It's not like anyone's playing a real person. Yeah. Um, even even like the great great cameo, Matt Damon as this kind of. He plays know, Mr. Monopoly. Yeah, basically, Matt Damon shows up. He's not. Is I didn't know he was in it. Uh, I know it was so fun. <laughs> he Matt Damon has become. Uh, to, <laughs> I saw Letterbox review is uh, Matt Damon jump scare. <laughs> <laughs> I was going to say to uh, continue the ongoing thread on this podcast of you never seeing Interstellar. Um, right. Matt Damon oh, shows is up. He in- he's like on some faraway planet as a villain. <laughs> um, <laughs> like they keep talking about this astronaut that they lost and maybe he oh did things gosh. intentionally or something. He was trying and to ruin it, communication. It's a crossover movie with The Martian. The Martian, yeah. Uh, Matt Damon is this great like bad guy cameo. Um, but he's like you know, ostensibly the head of some major auto company and, but he's not playing a real person. Not nobody in this movie is. He seemed like the head of like all of the company or no, no. What he was, was uh, the guy that bets on the industry, not the company. Like to remember when he said that? Yes. Yeah. And so like, to me, it was just like, especially when he's laying out the, his speech about you're playing a game that we've made up the rules for. Mm -hmm. And there's no winning for you because we made the rules. Yes. And you have to stick to the rules, you know? Yes. And it's like, oh, yeah, that's capitalism. Yes. Yeah, yeah, I mean, and that's what the movie's about. The movie right. is this fable about the, you know, the, the way that capitalism just closes in on people. <laughs> right. And and the, the system that is so broken, you know, I, I, I mean, I don't know, I don't... Uh, I don't want to sound like I don't have that much to say personally. Neither, on, let's on say these this: issues. neither of us have the answer. <laughs> yeah, I don't know, but that I doesn't don't, mean you can't critique what's currently there. Yes, but in in the in the system of the movie, I think the critique is, you know, these two low level heist guys get brought into this thing, and they, um, you know, 
everyone around them is making these rules and they are totally bound to the the whims of um, everyone around them and they have no power to navigate through it successfully um, or on their own volition because as soon as they try to take 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 things into their own hands they can only get so far mm-hmm. because right. and and it's this very i think no sudden move so do you want i don't know if you want to describe any of the plot at this point um yeah i mean it it's a heist movie mm-hmm. but it revolves around hired hired guns from competing uh criminal pasts yeah i mean competing criminal organizations in detroit basically yeah being hired on a singular team yeah to uh steal the what is it, the trademark like it seems specs it of seems a, like the patent or the the, the patents designs yes, the i wouldn't have been patented at that point the designs for the catalytic converter which helped mitigate pollution in vehicles but like significantly and i didn't realize how significantly yeah and it's on every vehicle now Right, um, but also I, I I think there also seemed to be like some report that was stolen that was part of it that that indicated that the auto industry knew how bad the pollution right. was. Right, that, that was the, I think maybe even the bigger part of yeah because they eventually were in real life sued for that. Yes, they knew how bad and that the cause of smog and pollution in cities was from vehicles, and they knew that for years without basically telling anyone, covering it up, and not doing anything about it, mm-hmm. and. And so the, the, the heist is, you know, so, some outside car company wants in on these plans because these, these basically the big four have gotten together and they've um, agreed and no one will, we won't make catalytic converters as long as we have to. Right. If, if, it saves us all, if it saves us all money, we will murder people with, yeah. with, with smog. Yeah. yeah. And we're not going to let the smaller car companies get a hold of this. Um, we'll destroy people and the planet so we save money. Yes. Basically, is basically. the th- thesis of capitalism as well. <laughs> and so you got you know Benicio del Toro and Don Cheadle, and unfortunately, the short-lived Kieran Culkin in this movie. I know uh, that that drove me crazy. I know he's, he, so he's good. fantastic, and I'm like, dang it, he's dead already. I know. First to uh, go. The the three he might them, be my favorite shot actually. Oh yeah, okay, we'll get but, there. But we'll get there. Um, Kieran Culkin, you know, so Kieran Culkin, Benicio, and, and Don Cheadle, um, as these three low-level guys that are arranging to get uh, David Harbor to steal this document, and they're going to get it to their boss, played by a very large and in charge Brendan Fraser. <laughs> right. And who does Brendan Fraser work for? Um, Doesn't he work for I th- somebody? If I, like he's connected to, I think, like the smaller car company or he he was hired by one of the car companies uh, or or he was involved with the ray liotta character and the right the frank capelli and the aldrich watkins so the two bosses right um so these kind of criminal organizations are kind of trying to infiltrate the big four auto industry it's it seems almost the, like the auto industry functions like a criminal organization and the real criminal organizations are right. trying to they're, infiltrate they're a mirror of each other yes it's like the ceos of these crime organizations yeah. are being hired by the CEO of car companies yeah. to whatever. So the guys to are serve able Matt to, Damon. The first act of the movie, the guys are able to get the documents. The heist happens, basically. It's messy, but it happens. And and then the second act of the movie is them saying, okay, we did it. We could walk away with five grand or whatever it is. Um, but Well, hey, it happens, and the lowest of the low blue-collar worker equivalent in Don Cheadle and... Uh, yes. What's the other guy's name? Benicio del Toro. They're like, all right, we got ours, but can we get exactly a lot more could, than could, ours? Could we get more? Could we, could we try and uh, strong arm our bosses out of more money for yeah. this? And that ends with basically all of their bosses dying. <laughs> basically, everyone dying. Everybody dies, um, except for Don Cheadle. <laughs> and 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 then the third act of the movie is them basically trying to blackmail the auto industry into getting more money and there's a side plot with Don Cheadle and his past with this crime boss but what's so interesting to me in the way the kind of movie is this f- kind of fable about capitalism is that at every turn any of these characters could have been like I'm good right. I, I've won really big I've made plenty of money I've made plenty of money and I could stop here but instead almost at every turn the decision is uh, what if I can get more <laughs> 
And and you even see that with like John Hamm, who plays an FBI agent who's trying to solve these murders, and and he, they've linked him to the mob. Um, the John the FBI agent isn't even on the side of good or righteousness because right. he helps he helps steal the money back that Matt Damon gave to the heist guys and gets it right. back to the auto company, and he's right. totally in their pocket. And he even gives his personal share because yes. he's so sold out to it. Yes. He's so sold out and knows, like, hey, I got a good thing. I want to keep this going. He uh, gives whatever a bottle reason. of whiskey. <laughs> yeah, he, John Hamm walks you. away with a bottle of whiskey. Um, that costs 80 bucks. I mean, just just totally, you know. I, I mean, and it's, it's in every structure, too, right? Benicio Del Toro is having an affair with his boss's wife. Julia Fox, Uncut yeah. Gems fame. Yeah, she's, and she's so good here. And she double crosses Benicio to get all this money, and she thinks she gets away with it. And I right. mean, it's it's like it, it, it. That's what the movie is, and that's what I enjoyed so much about the last half hour. For a second, you think it's going to be Don Cheadle and Del Toro becoming buddy buddy because yes. Del Toro is pretty racist towards Cheadle in yeah. the beginning and yeah. like throughout the movie. But you think like, oh, okay, their backs are against the wall. They're bonding over this. They're going to come together. Nope. <laughs> no. <laughs> no, they, they double-cross each other. There's no coming together in this movie. No. And, and and that's what I loved about the third act. I think the first act was... Well, it was Super the heist. Fun. And it was yeah. fun. As, as confusing as it was, I understood that there was a heist going on. Yeah. And it was confusing. Like, you're watching it and you're saying to yourself, I'm going to realize... Like, there, yeah. this will become clear. Unlike the sides of the screen the entire movie uh <laughs> this will come into clarity soon um yeah it's it is um that first act you go with it it's a heist it's fun it makes sense the second act is some of it coming into clarity and then a little bit more confusion but at least you have like faces to names you know it's this right. kind of middle act to get us where we need to go and then the third act i thought was so much fun because every yeah. 90 seconds, somebody is double-crossing somebody else. Right. And You're like, we're running out of bodies here. And it, and it did not slow down. <laughs> right. Um, that, that, to me, the confusion in the beginning of the movie was worth it because of the payoff at the end. Yeah. Yeah, it was definitely the community scene of the fake guns. It's like, and that's the lesson being taught. You remember this episode where no. they're trying to te- the the dean is trying to uh, okay. play play a trick on Jeff and then Jeff realizes so he plays a trick oh, on yes, the dean yes. and then they double cross and then the policemen come in and then the drama department <laughs> <laughs> and there's like twenty layers of uh, lesson teaching going on. It's the one armed guy and arrest development too. The the they kidnap George oh, Senior yeah, yeah. and, and take him to South America. But he knows it the whole time. Yeah, Uh, (laughs) that's a fun trope. Yeah, I mean, but it's it's a very like heist movie trope where you know it's it's, not comical in this. It's no, no. Um, But it's you know the end of Ocean's Eleven where there's still a half an hour left and they've gotten away with it, but you don't really know what's happened. And it's then the explanation, and you get to flash back and see. You know, it's this, it's the magic trick of a heist movie. Yeah, it's similar effect to the detective revealing the murderer. Yes. Yeah, like the you end of Knives Out. Him. Yeah. 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 Um, so I, I, to me, yeah, my overall impression of the movie was like, oh, this is really good. It's slick. It's got some style. It's not my favorite thing he's done. Mm-hmm. And the last 20 minutes happened, and I was like, oh, I love it. Like, this yeah, is like really solid, um, great movie. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, the Matt da- Damon cameo and the um, explanation at the end kind of bumped it up in my yeah. mind. Yeah. From, oh, man. Stuff just keep Time is a carousel, isn't it? <laughs> to quote John Hamm. Uh, it's like, yeah, we're just doing that today, too, where it's impossible to oh, yeah. um, you know, protect people's health or the environment or you know whatever. And including, and because in, in large part to like everyday people as well, like, well, I got to get mine. Yeah. So, so I yeah. will continue to make choices that I know probably are it's, it's affecting the, people poorly. It's the cognitive dissonance of how we, um, yeah, I mean, it's, it's down. I tweet down with capitalism from my iPhone. Yeah. But it's also the, 
oh, I don't use plastic bags anymore to save the environment, but we don't do anything about like the corporations that are just, you know, clear, well, clear yeah, cutting rainforests. Like, it's like, well, they made the rules. Obviously, I can't change yeah. the rules. I'm yeah. a lowly player that's about to get get got. Yeah, I mean the and the the memes this week of the flaming hole in the ocean <laughs> i know it's funny all the, the subtweets that are like but but i started using paper straws it's <laughs> yeah. like those are funny but it, 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 but also like Ugh. like yeah the helplessness of you doing your best yes is, is very real yeah yeah and that's and that is the kind of the the undercurrent that motivates i think the don Cheadle character in this movie right as this it's kind of the 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 what was happening in terms of discriminatory housing policy and redlining and demolishing of black neighborhoods in not just Detroit but all over the country, right? Which is also very real of the time. Yes, I mean, and very real today. Yeah, and he cites specific neighborhoods that were were real and were demolished. They were places where there were black businesses and black homes and home ownership that were demolished by the city in the name of you know, corporations in the name of highways and in their place went up basically housing projects. Right. And I, I mean, it's, it reminds me of the beginning of season three of the wire. Do you remember the opening scene of season three of the wire? Mm-hmm. It's the, the towers, the housing project towers in mm. West Baltimore are demolished and the mayor and the local government come out and it is this sign of progress that, that we're getting rid of this, this the housing project. It's a blight on our, our city because of the drug trafficking and blah 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 and but all of the all of the locals sitting around are like well this doesn't change anything right <laughs> and that's the what, people the 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 drug traffickers don't go away no <laughs> the problems of society don't go away no with a building changing no um and 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 you know and that's not what anyone's i mean the redlining stuff is not a solution to a problem it's it's actually creating problems mm-hmm. with racial with racist policy and protecting a very wealthy tiny amount of people yeah i mean and that's literally like in i'm i'm recording this in sacramento and we have a major freeway that runs through the center of the town and it was the mark of segregation in sacramento when it was built everybody on the east side was poor and people of color and everybody on the west side of it were affluent and the i mean you go from one side of the highway to the other right like it's pretty visceral yeah and and it's still that way today basically which is right. the the crazy thing that that was built 50 years ago right but there's like microbreweries popping up and like yeah. the, the edgier coffee shop quote unquote <laughs> yeah and and now you yeah gentrification is a whole separate issue um yeah i I was yeah the movie the movie is interesting and and what elevates it to me is not only is it such a such a slick stylistic heist but there is i I so pretty slick message delivery yeah and and i what i appreciate about soderbergh here is that he's very i think precise about the message where i think the message it's a movie about capitalism sure but what's the message what do you think it is the overall message yeah i mean just the very precise if you had to drill it down to a single thing well it's kind of what i already said of like i think matt damon's thesis yeah no i think you're right i think it's mr monopoly saying i here's my board game (laughs) but try to win it's still my board game and i could take it take it and go home whenever i want exactly it's the helplessness yeah it's the helplessness that people feel in systems and i i appreciate that so much that he's able to drill down to that feeling Mm -hmm. and and using the heist genre to because he loves a heist yeah and he's he loves really, that. He's good. He's he's good at it. Um, and like you said, it's always a magic trick. Which, like delivering a message without it being preachy or overt, mm-hmm. is a bit of a magic trick it's, in movies. Yeah, absolutely. And 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 I think it's such an interesting comparison to the like Logan Lucky or the Ocean's Eleven heist reveal at the end of those movies because there's so much joy at the end. 
mm-hmm. because the, the our main characters get away with something. Mm-hmm. Where in this movie, it's everyone is losing, and that's right. the magic trick reveal is just everyone in the film losing, and right. the helplessness that everyone feels. So, what do you think of the style of the movie? Uh, I think that the first half, the camera, the fisheye, mm-hmm. um, worked better for me because mm, it was so propulsive at first, and I felt mm-hmm. like he was moving the camera a lot, and that yeah. fisheye makes when any movement feels like it's moving more because the edges are like yes. all of a sudden you know you know when you walk by um like a fun house mirror and it's like there's not a lot of change and all of a sudden it changes yes. a ton like yes. that's what those sides are doing yeah and so like he had a lot of interesting movements happening mm-hmm. and so i think it worked really well then and i i noticed it but i was like having fun with it but the middle half or sorry middle act Mm -hmm. is a lot more just people talking Mm -hmm. you know and so it's a little bit more distracting and i mean it's always like the style's great like i I don't have a lot to say about it versus it being spot on it seems for the time well yeah i'm i when i say style i'm talking mostly about his choices as a filmmaker and some of that uh right right like but even like the way the the middle part is shot or how most of it is shot and presented and cut together yeah the first half i think it is lined up really well Mm -hmm. now i thought the choice of the the kind of wide lens was so interesting and and it worked for me i was fine with it like i think it's definitely distracting at first um Mm -hmm. and he even said in an interview i listened to with him he said um he was asked what do you want the audience to feel and he kind of laughed he's like i'm not going to tell you what to feel because of this like (laughs) right feel what you feel he said one of my hopes is that you always remember you're watching a movie (laughs) interesting and i'm kind of fascinated by that answer from a director of um because i think i think we have gotten to a point in movie making where there's such a high value on realism or the appearance of realism and and often that is done achieved with like um, like criticism would be it took me out of it yes yeah oh this took me out of the movie and that's often achieved either in kind of verite style documentary style filmmaking very you know you know natural light kind of stuff Mm -hmm. or just a lot of cgi um yeah because and and to me the cgi is more distracting and it makes it look less real oh my god like i saw real quick tangent i saw the suicide squad trailer today mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. oh my gosh it looks horrible like yeah. i mean th- th- again that's not those movies aren't my my go-to but it, it reminded me of spy kids oh yeah like spy kids 3d and i was like but this is for like Idris Elba is in this, you know, <laughs> Margot Robbie, like all the stars of our time are in these movies. And I'm literally getting lava boy, lava girl and shark boy vibes. Like it's just becoming comical to me and it's frustrating. Yeah. And it's like, and people are like, Oh, this, this movie. No, 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 no. This movie is going to be it. And that, that's what I'm constantly interested in too, is the way that like we have comic books, which are allowed to exist in this fantastical kind of thing and then you adapt a comic book into a movie and you have to make everything look quote unquote real <laughs> like well captain america wouldn't wear a suit like that it would be it would be muter colors or it would be made out of this or you know right. you, you give nods to the bat suit or you give nods to these things like oh or even like like peter parker you know but but then it's like why not? It's a comic book movie. Why not make it look crazy? And but the right. the, the idea is that it's like realistic or something. And I'm like, I, okay, whatever. Um, and Soderbergh's like, no, it's a movie. And and right, like all the touches on the 1955 of it all is are all very accurate and great. Um, so you know, there's a world where he could really try to make you feel like you are watching something that took place in the 50s. Uh, right oh you know mank is a good example mank like for fincher to go back and do it in black and white and kind of this style of filmmaking that you know the lighting the the soft black and white you know uh trying to make it look 
and feel like it's of the 40s. Mm-hmm. And, uh, but everything's kind of off and weird. But like at no point in that movie do I forget that I'm watching a movie. And Fincher is right. fine with that because he starts scenes with like screenplay direction. <laughs> right, right. Like he, he uses devices. With, yeah. Yeah. And I think Soderbergh's device is the the lenses um yeah to distort his characters um distort his actors um and he uses it to good effect because like you said i think there is as a propulsive element to it yeah uh, but then you also get these really interesting shots where three or four guys in a room together talking to each other all about to one, double cross each other like extended out and, and and you have them kind of trapped in this space of the frame folding in on themselves on each other Mm-hmm. And there is a claustrophobia that happens with that lens. Yes. Which yes. is ironic because when that when you put that camera outside, you actually get to see more of the world. Right. Um, but but it has a claustrophobic it, effect. It was inside. most distracting on inside yeah. shots, yeah. which is most of the movie. Yeah. Yes. Um, or like cars. Uh, but, <laughs> driving, but, driving, talking cars. Driving and talking cars, but I loved all of the big, beautiful shots of the cars from the fifties. <laughs> like, it means the cars getting coffee. Yeah, but but like it's a movie about the auto industry, and he just lingers right. on them, and and they are so ever present. It's characters getting in and out of cars all the time. Cars that are poisoning themselves. Yeah. Yes. Cars that are poisoning us, and cars are the is the the, the whole commodity behind the heist. Yeah. Yeah. But every literally every person in the movie depends on them. Yeah, which um, I don't know where we're at in the timeline, but that could take to my favorite shot. Yeah, let's do. Um, do you have anything to say? Just wrapping it up. Yeah, just wrapping up our discussion. Um, definitely more Colkin, definitely more Ham. Yeah, I, I, I didn't John realize it, it. What is John Ham doing lately? Uh, this kind it, of stuff. I was gonna say like I've, I'm hearing people say that this is kind of a a joke at this point of him playing a you know <laughs> another fbi agent you like another fbi agent who's you know like not to be trusted or whatever <laughs> but i didn't I, I guess i just haven't seen him other than baby driver i can't remember the last thing i've seen him in yeah he was in like a cia middle east terrorist movie beirut a couple years ago um that like he he was the star of it was fine oh gosh that was so long ago now it was 2018. He was in um, Bad Times at the El Royale, that kind of like Tarantino ripoff thing that I thought was fine, but you know, not the greatest. He's, he's not making great choices. So um, this. this oh, but he plays an FBI agent in Richard Jewell, the guy that um, was accused of bombing uh, the Olympic Stadium, Olympic Park. Mm. Um, and then he was an FBI agent in The Town, the Ben Affleck directed movie. Oh, okay. Um, so he's I definitely. That- there's something there yes oh yeah no he's he's definitely done this like this role like a number of times um yeah Yeah, i thought that that there was some self-awareness to soderbergh that lays lost on me because i'm not as familiar with this catalog not with john ham but just with every everything he's doing you know well and it's interesting because originally george clooney was supposed to be in this movie right i wonder which character i don't know um I, i don't think it would be either of the two leads i wonder if it was matt damon's Maybe Matt Damon. That that would make a lot of sense. Um, I can't, I, you know, unless he's the FBI agent. But I think, yeah, but it's yeah. interesting because Clooney's in Out of Sight and the Ocean's movies. He's in the other Soderbergh heist stuff. Right, that's his guy. Yeah, um, and Don Cheadle is too. Don Cheadle's in, in Out of Sight and the Ocean's movies. So it's in- interesting because he, I think Soderbergh intentionally plays with your expectations for stars and does that really yeah. well. Um, and I watched a, it was like a cast talking about Soderbergh mm. and the, the only thing they all said was like it's amazing how quickly we're done with the day he's like alright got it moving on they're like are you sure you don't he's like nope we got it we're, let's go and the, they're all like we gotta we gotta go home early he's editing the movie as he's shooting it yeah so it's like he he's never, a madman yeah like like Colkin was saying that he got he got like an early viewing of it because it was edited basically at the same time yeah and he's like oh i know exactly how this movie's gonna go yeah but it's funny with how prolific he is it makes sense that even on set it's like we got the shot moving on next 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 and and 
And it's interesting you bring up the cast stuff, and we've talked about this a little bit on this podcast, but he has a reputation as being a director people love, love, love to work with. Yeah, they were all glowing. He's just nice and kind on set, and he's very professional, and he works very hard. And you get to go home. And and he's not like he's not the David Fincher type of I'm going to destroy you and break you down after right. 150 takes to get something I want. He's the anti-Fincher. Yeah. Um, and his movies are good. Like he's he's figured it out. It's so funny that there can be such vastly different styles, and it's not like the movies are so like oh yeah I can totally tell. I know. I know. You know. Yeah. Um, are these directors like the Kubricks and the Finchers kind of just a bit of an ego trip? Yeah, of course like, they are. Now that you're a shell of yourself. I mean, it's uh, like you hear them explain it. It's like, oh, yeah, that makes sense. you got to break us down to get something real out of us. And it's like... Soberg says, nope. Or just make a movie. I don't know. <laughs> yeah. But uh, overall, like, great time at the movies. Yeah, yeah great you time know. at the movies. I, it's it's not in my hall of fame, but it, like yeah. I, I I like I like a movie like this. I like a movie that's just a solid. It's a movie movie. Yeah, it's <laughs> you a know, movie. like Seinfeld on an episode of Queens and Cars to bring it back. He's like, I love a dog like this, and it was like a small like not like a little bit smaller than our dog Border Collie. Yeah, and he's like, I love this. It's a doggy dog. <laughs> it's kind of like, like just like what, what you, you think picture, of yeah. when you think of a dog. This is like a movie movie. Yeah. Oh, like totally. let, let them all talk remind me of that too yeah like, this is a movie you it, know? Soderbergh does these just like it's not an event movies made for grown-ups but are not like explicit or anything it's you just gotta study the frame by frame but it, but also in terms of like violent content or sexual content like it's just like it's a movie for grown-ups not because like it's that inappropriate just but because like you know 14 year olds 14 year olds are not interested in this yeah um and and i i yeah i i liked it a lot good wreck for a friday night hbo max yep move to segments yeah favorite shot mitchell segments okay until andy writes a song that's what i'll do um i've got two one is colkin eating fries in the car with his mask on Mm -hmm. um god that kid carries such a swagger He's so great. And attitude that even when his mask, and his mask fit the worst out of all of them, which I thought was funny. It was like very low on his face. So his can we talk were, about, can we talk about the masks for a second? They look like COVID masks. That they look like cut, COVID masks. That someone yeah. cut eye holes out of. Like, Yeah, they're just it, wearing it up instead it, of over it's, the mouth. It's an amazing thing to see. <laughs> yeah. And they all fit them badly. Yes. But in different ways. Yeah. It was um, great. And so... Yeah, just the wide shot, him with a fry, like not even eating it, just holding it. And because he requested that they stop for fries and they're holding this guy's, like, uh, what's the actor's name? Benicio del Toro? No, Hopper from. Uh, oh, David Star- Harbour. Yeah. Yeah. Is his name Hopper? I don't even know. Um, but his uh, his family's being held hostage by this guy and his, his goons. And he's like, yeah. Can you stop for some food. That's <laughs> how much I don't care. <laughs> Um, so that was great. And then another one that just struck me was, I think it's the friend who, um, that, his name again, Stranger Things guy. David Harbour. What's his name in the, in the in, it's Matt, Matt. Yeah. Yeah. His wife and kids are staying at a neighbor's house mm-hmm. and he calls the neighbor and mm-hmm. she's like, I'm not letting you talk to them. And then, you know, she hangs up, but then there's a shot of her, like, like, the way the house is built, it's like this little corner of a wall sticking out that she's hiding behind. So you can see her, and then you can see the kids watching TV and the husband kind of in the dark other corner, also like, um, you know, numbly watching TV. But like the layout of the room and the shot just gave me a hit of like, man, the different worlds. I know. That could yeah. be operating yeah. in the same single frame. Yeah. And like in a thing like a living room with like each person in their own like universe like the kids are like just like glazed over watching and, and the the different lighting effects yeah like she's lit very red and and neon and then contrast that with them yeah the dark moody of the husband on the left but mm. i'll have to find it and send it to you yeah um um my favorite shots it's two of them 
um, but they they're kind of a piece together. It's the first shot of the movie and the last shot of the movie. It's just the it's John mm. Cheadle walking down the street, and within about five seconds of watching the movie, the title cards come on, and I'm like, yeah, I'm in good hands. Um, so quickly, they move yeah, quick. Yes, and but I just love the symmetry, like, the cir- circularity of the the, the storytelling. Um, right, the sandwich of those shots. Yeah, yeah. That like, I. It, and and I said it earlier, like, oh, uh, the last shot's going to be him walking down the street. And I was right, but I wasn't disappointed that I was right because mm-hmm. it because w- that felt right. Right. And and he made me... <laughs> How many times can we say right? Like, back and forth. <laughs> but he made me feel like the, 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 the correct, meaningful ending to this is the circularity back to the beginning. And mm-hmm. so he achieved it. He earned that really well. Echoes the message a little bit, too. Like, yeah. things never change. No, 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 no. And I, in your letterbox, you talked about the Warner Brothers logo, the vintage yeah, one. Yeah, yes. I like that when, I, I assume there would be a bunch of studios rolling through, uh-huh. you know, different, and it was like, nope, movie starting now. Yep. Go. Yes. I, yeah, it's like, I know. actually a very sudden move. <laughs> oh. Okay. Um, letterbox review, Mitchell, what'd you give this one? I give it three and a half. Three and a half. Yeah, it's a solid movie. I, I, I would have given it a... Uh, I, if I could have given it a 3.75, I would have. It just didn't quite crack the four for sure. me. I think I have to reserve that for some of his other movies. Sure. Um, to me, I so I gave it four stars, and it really ticked up there the last 20 minutes. Um, I, I was just so impressed by how, by how well he stuck the landing for a movie that starts out so in such a convoluted way. Did that um, last 20 minutes earn the last half star? Yeah, probably. Um, yeah. And and I'm just, I don't know. I'm like, it was great. I don't need I don't need any more from it. I'm judging this on what it wants to be, and it wants to be a fun movie. And it achieved that really well. So good on it. There you go. Um, our last and segment, our last and final segment. What else uh, have you been watching? All right, because I failed last week with this, I decided <laughs> to start, like, cramming a bunch of movies last couple <laughs> days but i have been watching more of the nba playoffs oh which yeah. are now in the finals yeah who's in the finals it is the milwaukee bucks and the phoenix suns oh man the hawks didn't sneak in there are you were you a hawk guy no i just i just like the hawks <laughs> have been bad forever like right well the thing is these the suns haven't been bad forever but two seasons ago they were they were the worst team in the league Oh, and wow. I, basically, I love it. I love this I love finals it because I, of because of the hope that two seasons from now the Kings could be in the finals. Okay, well, sure, <laughs> but I love small market teams. Yes, sure. Like showing what they can do, and none of these pile on teams are on no. in the finals. No, and I'm an old man, and I'm angry about these teams. Yeah. So anyway, NBA playoffs, and then uh, we watched. I watched Ida. Yeah, how'd you like it? I thought it was fantastic. Great. I really want to see it. It's on Amazon it's, Prime? It's on um, It's on Amazon Prime with, uh, like, I think it might be IMDb. Oh, the IMDb TV thing. But it's on Canopy also oh, for free. Oh, cool. Cool. Uh, no, no, sorry. Not Amazon. It's on Tubi for free. <laughs> Tubi. Tubi. The tubes. Yeah. Um, so that was really good. And it's really short, too, which is much appreciated for a slow Russian movie. <laughs> uh, but it's actually not that slow. Like it had a really solid pace. Anytime you started to feel like uh, it, boom, switch it up. Yeah. So and every shot is like beautiful put on your on your wall. You yeah. Know? Yeah. So Ida was fantastic, and then I started uh, His Girl Friday. Oh. oh, I can't say enough good things about that movie. I, I can't. I was shocked that you had seen it. Um, You're not shocked, shocked that- but. It was just like so random that you had seen it. Well, I, I that was on a syllabus in college for me, so I'd seen it in college. Oh, really? Oh yeah. Oh yeah. Interesting. That, that's like film history kind of stuff. Wow. Um, I I had never heard of it, and then I it was like a on Quentin Tarantino's favorite movies list. No, yeah, it's it's a it's a big. Um, it, I mean, it's a, it's an important kind of classic it, in terms of comedy and. Um, and the way it puts the woman at the center of the frame, and yeah, right, yeah. It, I I rated it five stars, and I've only seen the first half because I know it's like it's that good to me already. Yeah. So there's that, and then I feel like I might have started one more movie that I'm not remembering now, but that's that's all I got. All right, I'll give you a couple of mine. 
I watched um, I watched Death Proof after our hell yeah after our uh, conversation about Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. And a- am, am I wrong? That uh, the last twenty minutes of that movie is it's absolutely insane. insane. That car sequence is extraordinary what what he pulls off what zoe bell pulls off it is it's stupid how good that movie is i know and and people people may say the first part is slow the first half is slow i don't think so at all but i so enjoy it and also the end is so much more satisfying because we had to sit and watch something it might be such a creep for an hour (laughs) well we we got endeared to characters yes and then he wrecks them literally yes yes and then we're like, oh god, this guy's the worst, and he's doing it again. And now we are we get a bask in the glory of that final shot. <laughs> it's amazing. It's amazing. Loved it. And I watched um, I watched Dog Day Afternoon for the first time. Um, is that uh, who is that? Al Pacino. It's Al Pacino. A ba- it's a bank heist. Uh, I guess um, a Koyak. <laughs> <laughs> uh, wow. <laughs> I just watched Bill Hader's impression of him randomly on Instagram. <laughs> If I see a cantaloupe on that table, I will lose my mind. Okay. Hoo ah! <laughs> it was Al Pacino talking to his mate. <laughs> uh, Got some lights. So this is like this Can't. is like right before the 1980s Al Pacino, where he really moves into what you are describing this is like right. right before scarface this is like he really plays that voice up right Hoo-ah! uh yeah <laughs> exactly yes he, he really it, plays it up. it's it's a it's a crazy thing he does uh the second half of his career but uh dog day afternoon it's like much more restrained and i was like really fascinated by it. it's like this great 1975 movie and mm. he's he's really good in it um um, it was solid, and then I watched um, In the Heights, uh, which mm. was a super solid musical, um, and a little too long, but <laughs> I could tell by that. I could tell right away. I was yeah. like, "There's too many people in this movie. It's <laughs> it, gotta be long." It's it is pretty long, but it was very good, and it made for a nice Fourth of July viewing this weekend. Uh, just nice. kind of real like America immigrant story kind of stuff that was really good. Um, Lin Manuel strikes again. Yeah. So speaking of, um, we'll not be watching in the heights for the podcast next week. What are we watching for the podcast next week, Mitchell? Oh boy, if we got a doozy for you all. Yes, so we suspense. do. Okay. <laughs> we will be watching Hulu's new movie or Hulu Premium, whatever. Uh, Summer of Soul, a Questlove project. Or something. What, I, what I think he's calling it a yawn. A J- yeah, Questlove yawn. Yeah, yeah. Questlove yawn, which um, is a music documentary. Yes, uh, it is a concert doc um, from what was what is at various points in history been called the Black Woodstock. It happened the same summer of Woodstock, but it was the Harlem Cultural Festival. It was a series of free concerts in the park in Harlem. The, with every oh my great gosh. musician living on the planet at the time, basically. Insane. The, and, and basically, they filmed it, um, and it was attended by 300,000 people. They, they filmed all these concerts, and the footage is astounding, um, and the quality of it is incredible and the performance it's like it opens with this stevie wonder performance and stevie wonder's like 19 oh years gosh. old he destroys the drums oh yeah <laughs> i know i started watching yeah it. we gotta finish it but. um and and then the footage sat in a basement for 50 years and because nobody wanted to buy it and broadcast it and they found it a couple the years ago and will not be televised yeah, um, but now it is. Yes, and Questlove's put it together as a doc with interviews and social commentary, and it is uh, really, really excited to watch this. So it's our first doc. Yeah, it's kind of a departure for us. It's a documentary. It's a music documentary. It's a little different, but um, it's a great summer movie, and it's on Hulu right now. Yeah, and if you, especially if you need some inspo for your Spotify playlist, oh, they're, yeah. they're boring right now. So we'll be watching Summer of Soul and next week's episode. In the meantime, you can follow us on Instagram where you'll... This week, Mitchell posted the uh, Once Upon a Time in Hollywood cocktail. 
the Dakatu. Yes. And <laughs> <laughs> uh, you can also there see our favorite shots. Uh, we are on Instagram at Movies While They Sleep. Um, follow us on there for I don't know. Are you can do do a no, no sudden moves cocktail. Mm, I I could start doing that. It got very little attention on the gram, <laughs> so I don't know how worth it'll be. All we'll right. see. All right, if I get one person mentioning that it was good or they'd like more of that, I will do it. Yeah, Mitchell wants more uh, attention with the, the I need cocktails. affirmation, people. Yeah, so go ahead and give him a like for that. Um, and, and give the podcast a like. Yeah, give the podcast review. a like, a review, write us a review rating on Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts. Uh, we'd love to love. And we'll be back next week with Summer of Soul. Good night, y'all. Bye.